It's a Monday mailbag. We were asked which top pitching prospects are most likely to debut in 2024. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use promo code Locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So one of the newest members of our Discord uh, asked us a question about the top pitching prospects likely to debut in 2024. And this is a fun list. I've got five for you. It could have easily been 10. I'll probably throw in some honorable mentions there at the end of the segment. And some of these are, I'm going to say obvious names because names we're all expecting of guys to debut. And some of these are guys you may not be thinking are ready to debut yet, but I think you'll see them in 2024. And the number one, talking about guys who it feels like it's obvious that they're going to debut or they're expected to debut. Paul Skeens, the right-handed pitcher out of LSU that was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Number one overall in this most recent draft. Uh, Only got five starts in the minors after being drafted. And part of that's because he threw 122 innings in this this college season Because they made it all the way to the College World Series Championship. But part of the reason I think Paul Skeens is considered to be uh, almost a slam dunk to debut in 2024 is because he's so incredibly polished. He's probably one of the more, one, dominant college pitchers that we've seen since Steven Strasburg. And then I think, two, one of the more major league, seemingly major league ready pitchers that we've seen come out of college in a long time. And so uh, we saw him in rookie ball. He got one start. He pitched an inning. He struck out one batter. We saw him get two starts in single A Bradenton. We saw him get two starts in double A Altoona. And the first one of those starts did not go. The second one absolutely did. So he finishes the year six and two thirds innings in the majors or in professional baseball, five hits, four runs, two walks to 10 strikeouts. All four of those runs were in that one Altoona start. But the combination of what Paul Skeens is able to do with the fastball, hitting triple digits, the slider, the changeup, and how precise his locations are on just about everything, provided that he's healthy and provided that he acclimates to the major league ball well, it feels like almost a certainty that if nothing else, by the end of the year, he would be up pitching at the major league level for the Pirates. But I could honestly see it earlier than that, just simply based on, one, how they're doing, if they are competitive. If, if you remember last year, they were competitive earlier in the year before they fell off a little bit later. So depending on how competitive they are and how good he looks, I would assume he would start off in AAA next year and probably get bumped to I would assume he'd start off in double A next year and get bumped to triple A pretty quickly, but depending on how spring training goes, he may start off in triple A. Paul Skeens feels like a pretty easy answer here on this. Another guy may or may not be necessarily expected based off of what he did this year, but might be a little bit surprising, Jacob Mizorowski of the Milwaukee Brewers. 
4-2 with a 3-4-1 ERA in 20 starts this year. And I think the reason a lot of people aren't necessarily expecting him to debut next year is because he only got five starts in A Biloxi at the end of the year. And they didn't necessarily go well. 21 innings pitched, 13 runs on 17 hits with 16 walks to 36 strikeouts. The walkout rate got higher for Jacob Mizorowski every level he went. He had 4.1 walks per nine innings in single A Carolina. He had 5.3 in high A Wisconsin. And then he had 6.9 in double A Biloxi. Those were all 20-something inning samples. Really small sample sizes kind of skews things. But I think what Jacob Mizorowski does well, and we saw it at the Futures game, he has a lot of, one, a lot of velocity. And that is just something that's hard to teach. And we've seen, especially in this postseason, how much you need to have velocity. And then two, he has a fastball that just feels like it's incredibly hard to hit. And given what the Brewers are going to be missing or not have in 2024, they're not going to have Brandon Woodruff. It feels like they're going to need some pitching help. And it feels like Jacob Mizorowski is a guy that you could call up if he starts off well in the minors, you could call him up, put him in the bullpen, and ease him into a major league role. I think you're going to see Jacob Mizorowski in 2024. I don't think you'll see him all season. Definitely don't think you'll see him to open the year, but it feels like you're going to see him in 2024. Another top pitching prospect I think you'll see, Ricky Tiedemann of the Toronto Blue Jays. 2021 third rounder. You'll remember he missed some time this year. He's currently in the Arizona Fall League making up innings. And he's looked pretty good. He's been one of the best pitchers in the Arizona Fall League. On the year, in just about every level of the minors, like literally, he pitched in rookie ball, he pitched in single-A Dunedin, he pitched in double-A New Hampshire, and in triple-A Buffalo at the very end of the season, he had an 0-5 record, the 3.68 ERA in 15 starts, only 44 innings. He struck out 82 batters in those 44 innings. And I think that the Arizona Fall League, how good... Ricky Tiedemann has looked in the Arizona Fall League is going to be one of those deciding factors that has Toronto feel comfortable calling him up again in the second half of the year and giving him a chance to probably pitch in relief, pitch out of the bullpen, both maybe in a single inning capacity and also extended innings. I, th- I think about what the Braves did with AJ Smith Shaver, his first start or his first pitching appearance up was in relief in Arizona, and then he turned around and started his next time out. Ricky Tiedemann, because he's looked so good at the Arizona Fall League, and it looks like provided he's healthy, which has been a question for Ricky Tiedemann, provided he's healthy, it feels like he's going to have a good chance in a contending Toronto team to come up and cover some innings, again, probably in relief, but either way, there. Somebody who I think Another player that you may not necessarily be expecting to come up, but somebody that I think you'll see, is Mick Abel of the Philadelphia Phillies. If you look what he did this year, mostly in AA ready, I think he had one start in AAA Lehigh Valley, but 5-6 and six with a 4-1-3 ERA in 113 and a third innings, struck out 10.5 batters per nine innings. The walks were high, 5.2 walks per nine. He walked 65 guys in those 113 in the third innings. And the stuff for Mick Abel is really good. Fastball, slider change is the big part of it. Has a curveball. But a lot of the walk issues to me feel like they have been 
mechanical. It's been the inability to keep his levers in sync on the delivery of the off-speed and the inability subsequently to land that off-speed for strikes. Given what we've seen this minor league pitching development group do, it feels like this is something, feels like Mick Abel is on the verge of everything clicking. And I'm of the opinion that this offseason, you're going to see everything click for Mick Abel. And because of that, you're going to see him get major league time next year. It also helps that they're going to have questions possibly depending on what happens in free agency. You've got some guys that are going to hit free agency from the rotation. But it feels like Mick Abel is a guy you will see at the major league level by the midpoint of the year. I like him, again, to probably, uh, maybe they ease him in with the bullpen, but I think they'll probably end up giving him like a midweek start or something. Let him start on like a Tuesday versus Washington or Miami or somebody at home to make it a little bit easier and ease him into it. The last guy... Cade Horton of the Chicago Cubs. Again, I told you, we tried to not take guys that spent the whole year in AAA and made this easy, right? But Cade Horton, absolutely dominant last year between single A, high A, and double A. Four and four with a 2.65 ERA in 21 starts. 88 and a third innings, 117 strikeouts, so 11.9 per nine, to only 27 walks, 2.8 per nine. Seven home runs allowed, so 0.7 home runs per nine innings. And it's a combination of, one, Cade Horton looks to be that potentially frontline starter with the fact that you look at what at how close Chicago was to being a postseason team this year and how the difference was down the stretch really felt like it ended up being the pitching. It feels like Cade Horton's going to get a chance to come up. I would imagine he had a... He's made six starts in double-A Tennessee to end the year, not counting postseason, and had a 1-3-3 ERA, and then dominated in the postseason as the Smokies won the championship. I expect him to probably start off in triple-A and be a guy they bring up sooner rather than later. Some of the honorable mentions here, I told you we could have made this list 10 long and it would have been really easy. For the Yankees, Drew Thorpe and Will Warren. You'll probably see one, if not both of them next year. Griff McCary, speaking of the Phillies. Ben Brown, speaking of the Cubs. And then I think Atlanta brings up Hurston Waldrop. He finished the year with a start in AAA. Probably would have been in AA if that season hadn't have ended. But the quality of that splitter, how good that splitter is, and the fastball combined with how much Atlanta needed starters this year, it feels like he probably is a fast track to the bigs and will be up sooner rather than later. In just a minute. I've got a couple questions about some catcher prospects, and then we're going to rapid fire at the end. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Game Time. Uh, We are in the middle of the postseason, obviously. College football is in full swing. If you get a, a whim, an urge to go out and buy tickets last minute, Game Time is the best way to do that. They have last minute tickets and flash deals on all kinds of events near you. you can And it's great peace of mind. You can see this view from the seat before you buy. It shows you an all-in price up front. You're getting a great deal. There's no hidden fees. You buy the tickets in seconds with two taps. They're delivered straight to your phone. Again, exclusive flash deals on different stuff. Football, basketball, baseball, whatever it might be. And then the game time guarantee. You're always going to get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row... For less than what you paid on GameTime, we'll credit you 110% 
of the difference. They are the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, redeem code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Now, terms and conditions do apply, but again, create an account, redeem code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Okay, so looking at some more questions from listeners of the show in this mailbag, we had a question about the most underrated catching prospect right now in the minors because a lot of the oxygen in the room is taken up by Ethan Salas, right? Uh, Of the Padres, 17 years old, made it all the way, you know, through the minor leagues, crazy, right? I think Moises Ballesteros of the Chicago Cubs is probably the catching prospect we're not really talking about. Something where international free agent and made it all the way to single A at age 18 in his first year stateside and then made it all the way to double A by the end of the season this most recent year at age 19. So what he did in the minors this year, starting off in single A Myrtle Beach, he went to high A South Bend, exactly 56 games in both levels, which was cool, and then a week in Tennessee plus the postseason. Regular season here, 117 games for Moises Ballesteros. 285, 375, 449. 14 home runs, 41 extra base hits, 63 walks to 78 strikeouts, and 7 of 7 on stolen bases. So again, age 19 season, and that's what he did in the lower minors and then a week in double A. And there's a couple things he played catcher he also played first base and DH'd when he got to double a he didn't catch once although part of that is very end of the season playoff push just slot him in at first base or DH versus trying to get him to learn new catchers when there's actual stakes here he so 76 starts at catcher 26 at first base 14 at DH when he was a catcher 20% caught stealing rate which is not great a little bit of work you have to do there but only allowed 10 passed balls in 651 and two-thirds innings behind the plate. Something where, like, when you watch him, I think the hands are good. He has the hands. He can make the transfer. The arm strength's okay. He's gotten better at the blocking. You can see by the pass ball numbers. I feel like that's a little bit better than it had been. If you break it down, I mean, that's a pass ball every 65 innings, which is, I feel like, a pretty understandable rate, especially in the lower minors when you have pitchers who are a little bit wilder. Uh, I do think the pop time is something that's a little bit not great just on film. I don't have actual numbers of the pop time because it's not high enough quality to stop watch it from home, Uh, but it feels like the pop time's not quite there. And so questions about does he stick behind the plate? I did also notice he's listed at 5'7 and 195, and that is not correct. The 5'7", he feels like he's about 5'9", but the 195, he's probably, I'm thinking, 220 or more. And so, when you watch him, it's a lefty swing from a shorter, stockier body. Again, I think the pitch recognition's good. The strike zone discipline is good. The thing here is, can he stick behind the plate? I think, ultimately, he can. I don't necessarily think he'll ever be gold glove quality behind the plate, but I think he'll be good enough to play behind the plate in Chicago. And the obvious comparison, because of his height, 
and his size is probably Alejandro Kirk. And I think if he turns out to be an Alejandro Kirk, you're perfectly happy with that. Got a question in response to our Prospect Team of the Year show that we did with Beck of the Dynasty Dugout. Again, go check out their work. They're great folks. And the question in essence was, is Ben Rice really going to be a catcher? Because he only caught 37 games behind the plate. He had 18 at first base and 18 at DH. And I think this is a valid question. Blocking-wise, he's a he's good behind the plate as far as the blocking, the lateral agility, things like that. I think he allowed one pass ball and 322 innings behind the plate. But he was 8 of 62, or sorry, 8 of 70 on stolen base attempts. 62 of the 70 got on. 11% caught stealing. And, and a lot of that comes back to the arm strength. And so he's got to do more if he wants to stick behind the plate from an arm strength, a pop time, a transfer perspective. And that presents a little bit of an issue. I don't know what it is with the Yankees. This is a profile it feels like all of the Yankees catchers have. Look at Austin Wells. There's a question, can he stick behind the plate or not, or is he destined to be a first baseman once Rizzo's gone? Obviously, Ben Rice, Augustin Ramirez is another catcher that there's questions about, can he stick behind the plate or not? And part of me just wants the Yankees to go out and draft the best defensive catcher in the draft in 2024, so we don't have to keep relitigating, can this Yankees catcher stick behind the plate? And spoiler alert, we're doing a show later this week about the MLB draft. We're going to start off with some draft coverage just because we pulled the people said they wanted it. And on this show, I give the people what they want. That's the goal of this. In just a minute, we've got some rapid fire questions about first baseman, third baseman, Tampa Bay, Milwaukee, what Baltimore does with their infielders, and a quality over quantity question when it comes to prospects. We'll get to all those next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. October baseball is here. We're in the depths of the NL of the NLCS, the ALCS, looking to see who makes the World Series. And you can make your postseason debut with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Join FanDuel today, and you can get started with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to create your new account. You can get in on the action from the first pitch until the final out. You can bet on everything from strikeouts, home runs, who's going to win the game. And if you don't want to wait the whole game to get a W, especially when these postseason games start later in the evening, you can just predict what's going to happen in the next at-bat with a quick bet. So head on over to Fando.com slash LockedOn right now. Step up to the plate this postseason with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed and make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. All right, final segment of the Monday Mailbag on Locked MLB Prospects. If you have questions for the mailbag, tons of ways to get them to us. We have a Discord. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. The show has a Twitter account at Locked On Farm. You can leave a comment on YouTube. We have email. We have subtext. It's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. Question about Connor Norby of the Baltimore Orioles. Does he stick in the infield? Does he have a spot to play in 2023? And this is the million-dollar question for the Baltimore in this offseason, right? Is you've got more prospects than you have infield spots. 
Who stays and who goes? And I've beat this horse into the ground by now. You should have moved another one at the deadline for another starting pitcher. But whatever. It feels like you're going to see them try to make a trade for a starting pitcher this year by moving some of these guys at the deadline. And so right now, if I'm picking a starting four for the end of 2024, by the end of 2024, I've got Gunnar Henderson at third base, Jackson Holiday at short, Jordan Westberg at second, Kobe Mayo at first. Now, obviously, a lot of this stuff can change. They can bring up Jackson Holiday earlier in the year, stick him at second base with Gunner at short. I think the biggest decision they have to make here is where do you leave Gunner Henderson? Do you leave him at short? Do you leave him at third? Because he played a bunch of both this year. And it reminds me of when the Royals had Bobby Witt in his rookie year. He played a lot of short. He played a lot of third. And didn't look great defensively at short, and they had to figure out where do we want him, and they ended up with him at short. So I think a lot of what happens and where guys move around ends up on what you do with Gunnar Henderson. But either way, Norby to me feels like he might end up being a guy that's left out. If you look what he did in AAA, he spent the entire year in AAA Norfolk, 138 games, 290, 359, 483, 21 home runs. 64 extra base hits, 57 walks to 137 strikeouts, and 10 of 14 on stolen bases. He played some second base, he played some shortstop, he played some left field, he played some right field, and he feels like a guy you want to have on your bench. He's a useful piece that can chip in at multiple places, but it feels like at every individual position, you've got somebody that you like better than him, right? Whether it's the infield options, whether it's in the outfield, you've got a ton of veteran outfielders. You've also got guys like Colton Kowser, Heston Kierstad. I think ultimately, if he stays, he's a utility option. But the question is, does he stay or not? That's the big thing here. Question from YouTube, is Junior Caminero an opening day starter for the Tampa Bay Rays? I think he is. I think the question, is he starting at third base or shortstop? He can play shortstop. It's going to be fine. It's not going to be great. Feels like it's not going to be Tampa Bay's go-to option. I feel like he's probably going to end up being a starter at third, but that's a big question is who is the starting shortstop and defensively, I'm sorry, offensively, what does that person give you? If it's Taylor Walls, you're not getting great offense out of Taylor Walls, so there's entirely a possibility that you end up with a scenario of maybe you have Taylor Walls late in the game, you pinch hit for him, for somebody who can play third base, and Junior Caminero kicks over to short, something like that. Either way, I do think he sticks uh, at the major league level to start 2024. He didn't look overwhelmed in his uh, brief cameo at the end of the year and in the postseason, and it feels like you're just he's just one of those naturally born hitters who's amazing. Does Xavier Isaac stay at first base? The second part of that question on YouTube. I think he does, and I think part of the issue here is... We're just assuming because he's a first baseman, he doesn't have great defense and because of his size, but he slimmed up significantly from the draft to uh, the season this year and looked pretty decent at first base. I think ultimately he stays. The question is going to be not, can he play first base good enough to stick there? It's going to be, is Trey Morgan a better defender than him at first base? If he moves off of first base to DH, I think it's only because Trey Morgan ends up being one of the better defensive first basemen in the majors and pushes him off. I think Xavier Isaac can play first base well enough to stick there defensively. The question is going to be, is Trey Morgan better than him or not?
in response to our top third baseman show, somebody said, I feel like Brock Wilkins going to be the third baseman in Milwaukee and Tyler Black's going to be the first baseman. And I do agree that Brock Wilkin profiles as your third base option. He's got a good arm, 60 grade arm. He's got good hands. He does have to worry about his lateral movement. I think like a knock on him coming out of Wake Forest was he wasn't that great side to side. He wasn't a great runner. And it's something where he didn't necessarily always, he wasn't always in a good defensive position to make the moves he had to make. He's going to start off at third base in the minors. And you always have the risk of him having to kick over to first. The issue for Tyler Black is he doesn't really have the power profile for first base. And so I think ultimately the best position for these guys, like Tyler Black's been playing some outfield as well. I don't think he's ever going to be even an average defender on the dirt. I think he could do he could be an adequate defender, maybe in the outfield. The arm's not great. And there's so many outfield options in Milwaukee that it makes it cloudy. He may end up being a utility guy, but I just don't see him as having the power that you typically want at first base. And I'm not saying you can't have a hit first player at first base. There's plenty of guys that profile as hit first players that have played first base, and Tyler Black can always get a little bit more power, had a ton of it in college, and it just hasn't completely manifested all the time in his time in in the minors, but he still has a chance. Uh, Brock Wilkin is more of a question about defensively, can he stick at third? And so I think it's up in the air, but again, I think Tyler Black ends up being a utility guy more so in playing different, multiple different positions versus being an everyday starter at either third or second or even first. And then question on YouTube, and this came in response to us talking about previewing the NLDS and talking about Arizona and LA. And he mentioned that Arizona was getting great performances from Brandon Fott and Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas, and it beat uh, those rookies and prospects helped the Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers who had the better farm system. And so he said, is it more quantity or quality? What's more important? And this could be probably an entire show, but I think the simple answer is the more quality, the more, the, the bigger the quantity of talented prospects you have in your system, the better opportunities you have to not only find those gifted players, those naturally amazing players like Corbin Carroll, but also to find guys who can contribute, who you can improve to make them into quality options either at the major league level or as trade pieces. You need the quality. You need to be able to grow stars out of your farm system, or I guess find stars in your farm system. But you need the quantity of talented players to give you the flexibility to either backfill the rest of the roster or to make trades to supplement your roster. So you need both, but they do different things. You cannot create a star. You can create a talented, uh, above-average contributor by fixing issues and development, but you can't create a Corbin Carroll. You can't create a Mookie Betts. Those players are born as destined to be future stars. And you need both, in this case, 
the top end talent in the Arizona system ended up beating the quantity of major league talent in the Dodgers system that they used in this series. But I think in the end, the Dodgers, you'd rather have the Dodgers system than Arizona system, right? Because you can't reliably count on creating another Corbin Carroll out of your farm system. But if you're the Dodgers, having be able to bring up three pitchers and having them take meaningful innings for you, and then being able to have the prospect capital to make a trade for a Mookie Betts and things like that gives you a longer runway to being successful. Fantastic week coming up this week. Really hyped. Again, we're getting into some MLB draft stuff. We're, we're going to have another position ranking of prospects. We're going to do another, another draft review. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, if you have questions for us, if you have show ideas, things like that, tons of ways to get them to us. Again, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us. We have a Discord. We have a subtext. Leave us a comment on YouTube. Tons of ways to do it. Until next time, remember, it's always a great time to pay minor leaguers.